Welcome to Setting Captives Free podcast, where we talk about how to experience gospel freedom. Romans 6-7 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. On today's broadcast, Mike Cleveland, founder of Setting Captives Free, shares how you can experience the freedom purchased for us by Jesus Christ at the cross. Well, greetings and welcome. So nice to be back with you again for another podcast. We began last week discussing Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, and applying it to the marriage relationship. I'm here with my wife, Jody, and we're discussing this together. Jody, thanks for coming back for another podcast. I'm always excited to do these with you. Mm, I'm excited to be here and to talk about how Jesus transforms every aspect of our life, especially our marriages and relationships with other people. So, It is fun to talk about these things. I, I think back on, we've, we've been married almost a quarter of a century and we've had our struggles and difficulties and challenges and God has brought us through them all. Mm-hmm. So here we are rejoicing together in the Lord and with each other and it just makes me happy. It makes me happy too. <laughs> so uh, we hope that we can be an encouragement to you today. And we began last week discussing Romans 8, 1 to 4, and we saw that there are two laws that are being presented to us here. The first is called the law of sin and death. And then the second is called the law of the spirit of life. Now, when we put these two laws within the context of marriage, we discover something. We talked last week about, Jody, how the law of sin and death is a law that wreaks havoc in a marriage. And and really what it amounts to is people trying to put their spouse under a performance-driven system where if you do what I want, I'm happy with you. Uh, I may be happy with you today because you made me breakfast and you cleaned properly and you did this and you did that. But tomorrow, watch out because if you do something wrong, if you slip up in any way, then I'm coming down on you because you don't measure up. This is a performance-driven marriage and it results in death. It's called the law of sin and death. Uh, this is a horrible way to live in a marriage, isn't it? It is. It is. When you were talking, I was thinking about um, Balaam and his donkey. And uh, this is very much what couples do to one another when they treat each other according to the law of sin and death. Um, Balaam uh, was going into a situation where he couldn't see everything clearly, right? There was an angel there with a sword and and had his donkey kept going, the sword would have killed Balaam, right? And so... Uh, the donkey stops and three times she does this and finally Balaam starts beating on the donkey and the God op- God opens her mouth and she speaks to him and says haven't I faithfully served you all these years you do you see it's a it's a point system right the donkey's saying hey I have served you well all these years why are you beating me and and he's like because you're not doing what I want do you see this when we treat each other According to the flesh, we're like treating each other like animals, like base creatures, and we are not that in Christ. We are new creations. We have a new spirit, a living spirit, and so we don't want to treat each other according to the flesh, beating on each other because we don't um, 
like the other one's performance. And the thing that we have to understand is that we cannot see everything. Just like Balaam could not see the angel of death in front of him and, and couldn't understand why his donkey was doing what she was doing. It's just that way with us too. I hate to compare us to donkeys, but you know, it's just to make the point that we don't want to treat each other according to the flesh. That is a powerful illustration. Wow. When you first started with Balaam and the donkey, I was wondering who was going to be Balaam, who's going to be the donkey in this story. Well, it's story. both people. You know, it's anybody who treats another person according to the flesh and beats on them um, because they're not getting what they want from them at that moment. And it's, it's a short-sighted, it's a temporary mindset. Jesus, um, in Matthew 18, gave us a parable of this very thing. He did indeed. Let's read the passage in Romans oh, sure. 8, and then we'll go to that passage in uh, Matthew 18 and look at that as well. Um, we, we left off last week with a short reading of Romans 8, verse 3. So let's look at that again. For what the law could not do, that is, overcome sin and remove its penalty and power, being weakened by the flesh, that is, man's nature without the Holy Spirit, God did. So what the law could not do, God did. And the question we ask is, well, how did he do it? And it says he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin. Mm, thank you, Jesus. So let's talk about that for a minute. The reality is that God took all of our sin. He took my sin. He took your sin. He took the sins that were committed in the marriage and put them on his son. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's true, that means that he took them off of us yes. so that we no longer carry the burden and the guilt of those sins. So what he has done is set us free in our marriage individually in our, in our marriage he has set us free from the penalty and the power of sin now that's what everyone under the law was trying to do we're trying to obey trying to work our way into god's favor through obedience to his law but we fail our flesh is weak we're unable to live perfectly and therefore secure god's favor and blessing. And so what he did is he took our sin off of us at Calvary. This was the plan from before the world was ever made to take the sins of all people and just dump them on his son. Just hang Jesus up on a cross and make him to be sin for us. And in so doing, we have the freedom of being guilt-free, sin-free, law-free. We are no longer under condemnation, as it says in verse 1. Right. And this freedom, Jody, is what both people in a marriage need to experience in order to interact in love. Right. And so how do we experience this? If we're talking about the need to experience freedom in order to interact in a marriage in a way that is loving and builds one another up, how do we experience this freedom that he's talking about in verse 3? Well, I, I have to say the only way that I have found is to look to Christ and focus on him and what he has done for me and for you. Um, the problem comes when we um, get focused on 
the other person's behavior. And this is the difficulty um, in living in our flesh. God is outside time and space. And in his viewpoint, it has all been taken care of, right? We are perfectly spotless. We are blameless. We are a bride prepared for, for Jesus in eternity, right? And you are blameless. You are sinless. I am too. But in our day-to-day -day experience, we still sin against each other. We're, we say wrong things, we're unkind, we're rude, we're selfish, we're indulgent, we're whatever, right? We, we sin against each other. And so our experience in the day-to-day -day is sometimes what distracts us from Christ and what he has done. And when we get distracted and start focusing either on our performance, hey, I'm the good spouse, I'm the one that's doing everything right and you're the problem, or we get so focused on the person who's hurt us and or 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 they're sinning and they need to stop doing or we get focused on our own failures oh i can't do this i want to be a good wife i want to be a good husband but i just cannot seem to get my stuff together what is wrong with me i must be broken everybody else seems to be able to do it but i can't either way we're looking at it if we're focusing on anything other than what than Christ and what he has done for us and in us, then we're, we're going to sink. You know, that's so important because <clears throat> this world is full of distractions. And especially in a marriage relationship, it's so easy, like you said, to look at how I'm doing or not doing or how you're doing or not doing or, or any of those things. And when we do that, we have become distracted, and like Peter, who got distracted while walking on the water, we sink. Absolutely. Um, so, what happens when we turn to the cross, and together we view the sufferings, the wounds, the death of Jesus together? It puts us on level ground. Right. There's no longer a innocent spouse and a guilty spouse. Because we see, oh, he's dying for me. He's taken my sin. He has loved me unto death. So we're on level ground at the foot of the cross. We're co-heirs together of the blessings. We are equal in regards to our uh, being covered in the righteousness of Christ. And so we, as we look at the cross together, Jody, it it melts our hearts together. It cuts our hearts. And as we together look at Jesus and we see him loving us unto death, we together grow closer because we're experiencing this, this one who became the Lamb of God to take away our sin. And as we experience together this love being poured out as Jesus shed his blood, as we see this, as we see the man, the God-man hanging under the wrath of God, under the punishment for our sins, as we see that, our hearts are drawn closer together. Not only are we on level ground, but we experience love. And, Jody, we're taught how to interact with each other. Jesus covered over my sins and buried them. Right. This is what I do with you. This is what you do with me and have for years. Mm. You have always minimized my sin. Uh, you, you've always 
uh, it says love covers over a multitude of sins. This is the way in which you've interacted with me, which tells me one thing. You've been looking at the cross it, to see your own sin covered over and buried. And this is marvelous. It's the way in which couples can interact in a loving way, a way that builds up um, instead of tears down, is to turn and look at the cross together. Um, what are your thoughts on that as far as interacting in a marriage based on both people looking at the cross? What does that accomplish? Well, um, one thing you said was that I had minimized your sin, and I, I just want to reframe that a little bit to say um, that I, it's not that I was minimizing it as if it was not a bad thing, right? Right. It's just that I had gained, by looking to Jesus, I gained perspective, and therefore it was a small debt. And this is what I was talking about with the parable of the unforgiving servant. The, the um, parable in Matthew 18 talks about um, a man who had a great debt and he goes before the king and the king is going to throw him in prison and all of his family because he, there is no way this guy can pay the debt. It's just unpayable. It's ridiculous how much he owes. And, and the king has mercy and he has compassion and he says, you know what? I am going to forgive this debt. I'm going to pay the price and you can go free. So the, the, the servant leaves and he goes out and instead of rejoicing and running home and saying, can you believe this marvelous, wonderful thing that has happened and being sharing it with everybody and saying, man, you should go see this king because he forgave all my debt. Instead of doing that, he goes out and finds the person who owes him a debt, a small debt in comparison to what he owed the king, right? But he owed, this person is indebted to him. He chokes him and throws him in prison. Why? Because he is not living in the forgiveness that he has received, right? He's still under the law of sin and death. He's still believing, not believing that he's forgiven. He's thinking, this king is going to change his mind. He's going to come back and he's going to want this money. I got to start collecting money from everywhere I can. And if I can't get it, I'm going to just do what I can. I'm going to execute justice. I'm going to get my my vengeance, right? Because I don't, I'm not living in my forgiveness. I'm going to choke out the servant. He has him thrown into prison. Well, all the people who witness the situation report back to the king and the king is appalled, right? He, this is not what I did for you. This is not the way you're supposed to treat the other servant. So this is, um, and so he has that first servant who did not live in his forgiveness is cast into, into prison and the the servant with the small debt is set free right and um the the comparison here is that we are all debtors we are all debtors and we all need to see ourselves as the person with the massive debt and we need to see each other as people with small debts and we need to interact with each other not by choking each other and executing justice on each other and taking out our revenge on each other and saying you're going to pay you've hurt me you're going to pay for it and you're going to never want to do that again if i'm going to make it so bad for you right when that mindset is of sin and death and the flesh and it is not a christian mindset Right. And it wreaks havoc in the marriage. It brings death. It brings divorce. When people treat one another according to the law, 
when they treat one another, viewing them naturally, yes. right? We, we view each other naturally. You did this, you have to pay for that. Right. Um, that's just a natural treatment, like anyone in the world without the Spirit of God would act. Um, and so your, your parallel here is perfect because it's not that we're saying that sin doesn't matter. No. We're, We're not, not saying, saying that. that whatsoever. Sin, of course, put the Son of God on a cross. Sin matters. Right. But what we're saying is we have a new perspective. Yes. That as we view the cross individually, we see that our sin amounted to a world of sin. Our own sin cost the Son of God his own life's blood. Right. And now we look at each other, and in light of what we just saw at the cross... Oh, it's so easy. I'm I'm not minimizing sin. I'm just saying in comparison to what Jesus paid, yes. my payment to forgive you is so small. You're right. Uh, and so I no longer view you, you no longer view me in a natural way, in a way of the flesh. Because we have the Spirit of God who always takes us to the cross. Remember, that's the role of the Spirit of God, yes. to display before us the beauty, the power, the glory of the cross. Because he's continually doing that, we, with each other, can forgive and live in our forgiveness. Yes. And to, to extend that forgiveness to others, it becomes almost a natural, automatic result. And Jody, what you and I could not do before, right. we could not forgive before we tried oh i'm gonna try well the thoughts keep coming back and plaguing us well yes. but he did this he did that and i can't get it out of my mind and and she did this and i'm i keep bringing it up to her and reminding her of it this all goes away when you view the cross yes because there you see jesus absolutely obliterating not only your sin but your partners, your marriage, your spouse's sin. He has nailed it to the cross. He has buried it in a tomb. Yeah. Who am I to go and roll the stone away and try and bring it out for you to look at? Right. I don't want to dig up a dead uh, a corpse. I don't want to, you know, we were crucified with Christ and I don't want to dig up the corpse. Right. Um, and, and so this is the power of the cross and how we interact with each other in a different way based on the cross. And so your illustration in Matthew 18 shows that in comparison with my own sin, other sins against me are less. Right. I crucified the Holy Son of God. You only sinned against a human being. Right. And so that's what you're saying regarding perspective, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is true in all of our relationships, in the marriage relationship most intimately because you're together more. But um, and, and I think it, it, there's the deepness of the relationship. Spouses, we tend to know the most intimate things about each other. And so we can hurt each other in ways that our friends or our children can't hurt us. But Every single relationship is when we become a Christian and we look to Christ in faith for our salvation, it should change us and how we interact with everybody around us. When we look to the cross and we see Jesus disfigured to where he can't even be recognized anymore as a human, 
when we see that and we see the agony and the suffering that he endured to pay for my sin and everyone around me, their sins against me and my sins against them, when I see that and I put faith in it and I say, yes, Jesus, I agree with you. Your payment is enough. It is enough. I don't need to execute justice. I don't need to execute revenge. I don't need to get a pound of flesh. I believe in you. I believe that you have paid the debt. I want to live in the joy of my forgiveness. So, and, and, and in that joy, I forgive everybody around me. I see everyone as covered in, in the blood of Jesus. And, and I say, it is enough. And this isn't that we overlook sin or we pretend we don't address it. Obviously, we have to um, help each other out of sin traps. But that's the difference, right? There is a huge difference than uh, of saying, hey, you made your bed. Now you got to lie in it and you got to get yourself out of that. You dug that hole, you dig yourself right back out or you climb out by your fingernails or whatever it is that you need to do to get out of that hole. And when you do, we can talk about it again or we'll be friends again or we'll be married, we'll be restored in our marriage. Okay, so that's one approach. That's the law of sin and death. Or there is the, the, the approach of the spirit which says, I've been forgiven a great debt. I want to go out and help everybody get forgiven of their great debt. And so I'm going to help you like Galatians 6 talks about, the spiritual one helps the one caught in a sin trap. Get out. Don't be angry that somebody caught, got caught in a sin trap. It happens every day to all of us. We slip and stumble and fall in many ways, right? But there is a way out, and it is through the cross of Christ. And we want to look to him together and help each other, build each other up, not beat each other down, right? <laughs> That was so powerful, and I was struggling for words and, and breath as I was listening to you because this is what the cross does, is it melts away our desire for a pound of flesh. Yeah. God gave his entire son. That's all that needs to be given. Um, I don't need to take your firstborn, God gave his firstborn. He did. And I don't need a pound of flesh. Jesus gave his entire flesh, all his his head to wear a crown of thorns, his back to be striped, his hands and feet to be pierced, his side to be opened. Jesus gave all that for my sin and your sin. Yeah. Therefore, I need nothing more out of you. Mm -hmm. I don't need to put you on probation and say, well, you know, let's see how you do. Um, I'll, maybe I'll love you again if, you know, for 10 years you're able to, or one or three days <laughs> or whatever, you're able to live the way I think you should live. You know, that's a that's treating each other according to the flesh. It is. And so what we're saying is, if both people in a marriage will turn and view the Lamb of God who's taking away their sin, yes. then they receive the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God works miracles. He does. He is supernatural, and He works supernatural miracles in the lives of marriage partners who are focused on the cross. And so, Jody, the, the man's role, 
in the marriage is by way of leadership, he's being led by Christ, he's to lead in the marriage. And what is he to lead? Specifically, he is to say, oh honey, come and look at the cross with me in this passage of scripture, just like we're doing right here today. Right. Come and let's talk about what Jesus has accomplished for us. Mm. The woman's role is to gladly submit, yes, let's do. Yes, let's do. Let's look at the cross together mm -hmm. and to enjoy this blessing that Jesus purchased for us. And as we do that, the Spirit of God is all over us, right? Because he lives at the cross. And so when we come to where he lives, uh, he is supernaturally working in our hearts and as that happens, love begins to flow between the two of us. Joy, unspeakable and full of glory comes out. All the fruits of the Spirit start coming out. See, that's what I was thinking. This is actually what we all want. We all want our spouse to be someone who walks by the Spirit. But you can't get there. That, that goal is never achieved unless you're abiding in Jesus, right? So uh, when we abide in Christ, we bear the fruits of the Spirit. So you can't force, you know, fruit. You can't make it happen by law. What the law could not do, right, uh, because of the weakness of the flesh, Jesus did. God sent Jesus in sinful flesh, or, or made him to be sin so that we could be made righteous. So his spirit is what produces in us what everybody wants, which is a person who's loving and kind and patient and general, gentle and self-controlled, right? Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. So, you know, we have learned that we receive the spirit at the cross so this is the power of the cross because it breaks the chains of sin. Yes. It not only removes the penalty and the guilt of our sin, it breaks the power of it. It does. This is what we could not do under the law of sin and death because why? The, the law of sin required my obedience. I had to sin when I was under the law of sin. Mm -hmm. It was a law to my old man. But we died with Christ to that old way of living, to our old selves. We've risen a new creation and we have a new law. This new law is the Spirit. Yes. The Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And this makes me live differently. It does. The, see, it would be futile if we just re received forgiveness of sins, but we kept adding to the debt and we kept living in bondage and we kept you know, living in our tombs of sin. We come out. We Through the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, I'm resurrected. Yes. I'm out of the tomb. I'm living differently. I no longer am engaged in pornography and, and sexual impurity and lying and deception and manipulation. And I'm no longer an infant where I get offended easily at everything you do, Jody. I'm going to... That hurt me. That really hurt me. I'm just... No, that's all that nailed to a tree yeah. and buried in a tomb and we come out of the tomb yeah. a new creation with a new heart why because we've looked at the cross and our hearts have been cut mm -hmm. our hearts have been circumcised mm -hmm. we've been humbled and we've been built up in love the cross does it all doesn't it it really does and i want to say quickly a word to people who are in marriages where their spouse is an unbeliever you know maybe or or 
acting as an unbeliever. Maybe they've made a profession of faith, but currently right now they're living in habitual sin. And, and so it appears by all um, external evidence that they aren't um, believers. All right. So um, I just want to say that uh, we still respond to those individuals in the same framework. If someone is an unbeliever and they themselves are living under the law of sin and death, that's between them and God, and you're not going to be able to change them uh, from a perspective of um, uh, by being treating them according to the law of sin and death, right? First um, Corinthians seven, Paul says, Paul says uh, that the unbeliever should, if they're willing to live with you, you should let them, because who knows? But they might be sanctified, right? They might come to faith in Jesus Christ by your witness, by your by your um, pure uh, and and devout life, right? So um, we still, even if you're doing it at, on your own in a marriage or in a friendship or in a, maybe it's your child who's an unbeliever, you keep looking to the cross and interacting with others based on the forgiveness that you have received in Jesus. Walk in the Spirit yourself and keep interacting with others in that grace environment because as you do they will be if god has um opens their heart they will respond right not because you treated them according to their sins but because you didn't hmm. love draws kindness um pull draws right mm -hmm. it's the compassion of god it was the kindness of god that led us to repentance right so that's what I want to give that one word of encouragement to someone who's in a relationship that's unbalanced. My, my husband won't lead me. My wife won't listen to the scriptures. What, I guess there's no hope for me. That is not true. Don't believe that lie from the evil one. The truth is that we look to Jesus no matter what our circumstances are, and he transforms our experience of those circumstances. And what you said is so important. We don't treat an unbeliever according to the flesh. We don't view them naturally. No. We don't put them under the law of sin and death. Because if we do, remember, death always happens. It does. If we treat other people according to the law, death always happens. And we don't want the death. We want the spirit of life in yeah. Christ Jesus. Wow, we've spent a lot of time on verse 3 because it's so important. We're talking about God giving his son to fulfill the law in us. And so let's finish with verse 4 and let's just read it. And maybe we'll come back again in another episode and talk about verse 4. Because starting with verse 4, we're going to be examining the results of what happened when God gave his son and God gave his spirit and how that applies in a marriage. So let's just read verse 4. Do you have it there, Jody? Okay, so it says, So that the righteous and just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not live our lives in the ways of the flesh, guided by worldliness and our sinful nature, but live our lives in the ways of the Spirit, guided by His power. That's the Amplified. And so, in essence, what it's saying is what Jesus did for us and what the Spirit does in us enables us to meet the requirements of the law. And so that God looks at you, Jody, as being perfect, as having never failed, 
as having kept his law in its entirety from your birth until now. Right. And so how should I look at you? Same way. Right? You should look at me as one who has fulfilled the law, who has kept it, who has lived in obedience. And this is how we view each other. Yeah. Um, it, it, I see you as perfect and spotless. Yeah. I see you covered in the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because he was covered in your sin yeah. for you. And so I interact with you based on the fact that you are an obedient person and have been since you were born. Now, we all know that that, that we have stumbled and fallen and we continue to stumble and fall um, in many ways Uh, and yet it's just that we view each other now not according to the flesh and according to our stumbles and falls but according to the spirit i see you the way that god sees you yeah isn't that beautiful it really is and this is this is life to a heart that is sad because of their sin This is life to a heart who is tired of the fight, you know, who just doesn't understand. They've tried everything, right? Um, Maybe they've tried doing it the mean way, you know, I'm going to be angry. And then they realize that the anger of man does not produce the righteous life that God desires. And then they tried the passive way. Oh, well, I'm not going to... I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to be a doormat and lay here and just take it on the chin, you know. And then they realize, no, that that's not that's not what God. That's ignoring sin. That's treating sin as if it's insignificant. That that's not right, and it's not producing the righteous life that God desires. Well, what is the right way? And it is the cross of Christ. It is looking to Jesus and saying, yes. Yes, that is the way. I will look to him. I will receive and put faith in what he has done. And as I look to him and experience what he has done in my life, my heart is filled and overflows with the love that the Holy Spirit has poured into it. And it compels me to live differently. And it draws others into a life that is different as well. So even when you sin against me, my experience of it is different now because I'm living in the joy of my forgiveness. I I really have faith and and not just in a passing way, but in a real meaningful, tangible, daily way. I experience my own forgiveness in Jesus and that changes the way that we interact and the way I interact with everybody. Yeah, right? Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, I'm holding Jody's hand right now. We have experienced the forgiveness of our sins together. We have looked at the suffering of Jesus. We've seen his blood. We've seen his five wounds. We see that he's pleading our case before you. And as we look at this, we receive the glorious spirit that you've sent into our hearts that makes us new that gives us hope, that gives us rest and peace. And we rest now in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as we pray right now, our hearts go out to those couples who are experiencing not the spirit of life, but the results of sin, the law of sin and death. 
in their marriage. They are putting one another maybe under that law. Right. And it's producing death. And, and maybe they're thinking of divorce. Mm-mm. And, oh, God, we come to you on behalf of them. And we're asking right now that you would lift their chin to look up to Calvary's hill to see that you sent your son to do for them what they could not do, that he became sin that they might become righteous, that he took their guilt that they might be free, that he suffered that they might have this life that they could enjoy. Lord, would you please bring that couple right now to the foot of the cross, that they together might kneel, that they might be humbled, both of them, as they look up and see the extent, the length to which you went to redeem them, to buy them back, to set them free, to save them, to give them a new hope and a new life. As they, as they face the cross together, would you please enable them right now to take the, their hands of their, of their spouse that they might do as Jody and I are doing right now in holding hands, that they might look up together yes, and that they might experience love, yeah. that they might flow down on them, that they might stand up and say, we're forgiven. We are absolutely free from the, the past of sin, yeah. that our lives have been crucified, our past, my old self, that old selfish me has died, and I've been raised anew. I'm a new creation. I've been transformed, and I'm being transformed into the image of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Lord, would you right now help them to look at the wounds that Jesus received? Because we know that the wounds of Jesus heal us. Yes, he does. They have healed us. You were healed by the wounds of Jesus. That simply means that your sin has been removed, that it's been paid for, that you're free from it. And Lord, I pray right now that in the months to come, we might hear a few testimonies of a couple who was brought to the cross and humbled in their hearts and built up in love and where they began treating one another not naturally, not according to their sins, but supernaturally by the power of your Spirit. Yes. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of Setting Captives Free. For more information or to enroll in free interactive courses on finding freedom, please go to settingcaptivesfree.com. Tune in next time for more truth that sets captives free.